0: Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Lots planned for today's show. We'll be talking about New Zealand's test win over India, the brilliant start to a T20 World Cup full of surprises in Australia. England Lions' first ever win over Australia, A. Eh? We'll be finalising our England Neely Men 11 from last week's show and much, much more. Before we start today's show, at Wisden we're working with Woodstock, where their aim is to provide the finest quality handcrafted cricket bats suitable for the best players in the world. Woodstock bring traditional qualities from the past and combine them with modern techniques so that their bats are geared towards the highest levels of the modern game. Woodstock are based just outside Ludlow in the south Shropshire hills where they manufacture the bats. And they also offer a comprehensive repair and refurbishment service, bringing old bats to life. Their services and products can be purchased at www.woodstockcricket.co.uk or by calling 01585 823 575. I'm actually the proud owner of a Woodstock bat myself. So am I. Uh, really?
2: Yeah, I used it for two seasons. Gorgeous piece of work. Yeah, I've
0: had one for two years now. It is it's really, really good. Um, anyway, on with the show. I'm <laughs> Yazran, and with me today is the Wizard Cricket Monthly duo of Joe Harman and Phil Walker. Oh, um, I see what you've done there. Yeah, yeah, that's Donald yeah, Trump, yeah, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. had to Very mention good. it at some point. Very good. <laughs> um, Joe, what's your moment of the week?
3: Uh, mine was from New Zealand's uh, fantastic win against India in the first test by ten whole wickets. Uh, absolutely thrashed them. I think I was asked on the podcast a couple of weeks ago how I thought New Zealand would do, and just said, off oh, India win," which um, was probably a bit lazy on my part because New Zealand's are an excellent team particularly at home. I think they've only lost one of the last eight home series. That was South Africa 2017. So really tough side to beat. But the manner that they dispatched India with, I don't think anyone really saw saw coming. Kyle um, Jameson on debut mm. had an amazing first day where he dismissed Pujara, Kohli, and then Vahari with a, with a beautiful ball mm. and then smashed a few sixes in New Zealand's first innings um it, it looked like the perfect pitch for him to debut on, but slowish, greenish, getting some movement. Um he wasn't bowling much more than eighty miles now. it Looks a bit like kind of Oliver Hannon Dalby, if if you're looking for a for a point in comparison. Um but the star of the show, without doubt, was Tim Southey, He took nine wickets in the game. I saw him bowling at the start of day two, just bowling absolutely beautifully. Could have could have had more wickets. Um and yeah, and the and the New Zealand story rolls on, it reminded, so this was their 100th test victory as well, and it reminded me that I had a book that my granddad gave me, um, which was New Zealand's first 50, which was an account of each of New Zealand's first Mm. 50 test wins.
2: Which didn't go great for them. No,
3: well it took a while, so I think it took them 27 years to get their first test win, (laughs) Uh, and then it took 73 years to to reach 50, uh, which was in 2002, so two thousand. So, 18 years to rack up their second 50. Obviously, they played a fair few more tests in that time. Mm -hmm. But it just basically just goes to show that they are um, right up near the top of the tree in in test cricket now. I think they're fourth in the rankings. Joint third with England. Very, very close, yeah. But India, obviously, are are top. um, But I don't think there's much between anyone else. And they can definitely lay claim to being the second best side around.
0: It was a really quite brilliant win bowling India out of under 200 twice. Mm. Um, India's last four games they'd won by an innings in each each of them. They hadn't lost a test match for over a year. So I mean e- even considering the conditions it was a really impressive win and also they've got um, a really impressive reserves of fast bowling. Jameson is essentially their fifth, sixth choice teamer but you've got Neil Wagner who's unavailable. Uh, Jameson's gone ahead of Matt Henry in the pecking order I and mean, we've also got Lockie Ferguson still out injured. So it's very impressive that they are a tiny country uh, where they don't have a massive talent pool At yeah they're Milne producing well. yeah they' are producing uh high quality international players who are doing it from from day one. Jameson the, might not play the next test match because Wagner comes back, I guess he probably
3: doesn't yeah. i mean the thing that they were talking, I think it was Simon Dool on commentary when I was watching was talking about although they do have the these excellent fast bowling stocks, that there is a bit of a lack of variety sometimes and that Jameson offers them something completely different. He's six foot eight. There was some mm. debate whether he's the tallest test cricketer ever to play for New Zealand. Um, so, yeah, he's not going to play every game. He might not play that regularly, but it does mean that they've got someone who can come in and do a job on certain pitches. Mm. Um, he might have been quite handy uh, in Australia, for example, given the injury problems they had out there. And I think he was part of the squad <laughs> out there and the end was flown out there. Uh, and yeah, it's great. I mean, they've they've got what six first class teams. They don't play much first class cricket, but they keep churning these players out.
0: Mm. India have won just one test in New Zealand since 1976. They've they've got a really dreadful record uh, in New Zealand. It's quite interesting how different the pitches the pitch was compared to what England played on earlier in the winter. Those were very very flat pitches where it. it almost seemed impossible to take twenty wickets because this was the opposite. New-, New Zealand actually did very, very well to get over three fifty with the bat themselves. Well just mentioning
2: that um Kane Williamson's just playing a different game in that test match. I only saw a little bit of it actually, but uh, eighty nine and hundred and fifty odd balls um in the context of that game where only one other player reaches fifty Agawal and it takes him one hundred and sixty odd deliveries to get there. Coley bums out <laughs> twice. Uh, and Williamson just you know, just had two and a half, three hours, just strummed it around by the looks of it, uh, and it, you know, in years to come, an eighty nine at first drop in a Test match. Well, you know, it's going to going to drift away, but in the context of that game, and in the context of the the Test Championship, uh, you know, that's that's another outstanding knock by by one of the all timers. Just on the the, cha- the championship thing, I was watching it with slightly different eyes. I fi- I found you know, obviously. A, you know, us doing this job and being stuck in cricket, you can watch anything for hours quite happily. But I was watching it with more engagement than I would have been, say, this time last year. Um it's still slowly cranking into gear, this 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 notion. Um and it's hard to look at the league table now when it's so skewed by by how how few few games certain teams have played compared to others. That said, it definitely, for me personally, has added an extra layer of intrigue and interest to it all.
3: And India not winning every game adds an extra layer of interest to mm. it as well, doesn't it? Because, I mean, they're still well, well clear at the top, already got one foot in the final, but um, India need to lose some games to keep the interest going, basically, and, and New Zealand have done everyone a favour.
0: And given, given it's a two-test series, that was a 60-point game as well, so it takes you half, more than half an Ashes series worth of wins to get 60 points. Yeah, when you put it in that context, that's when the whole thing starts to <laughs> yeah. fall apart for me again. Yeah. But. <laughs> um, Virat Kohli, Whisper, is actually not, He's not in a rut. In, not in that great form. He he's averages twenty two across this tour across all formats. Um and like he's he's not actually been that dominant for about a year now. Yeah, I know what he was doing. I know what he was doing before was uh, totally unsustainable. But um yeah, he's he's not quite the levels he was before. And-
3: I have he even resorted to saying he's hitting them well in the nets, which I thought oh, was wow. the kind of preserve of failing English batsmen <laughs> to today. <laughs> but
0: yeah,
2: let, let, let's let's not go down this road with anything other than tongue wedged in cheek. Obviously, but you know, there is a question around the amount of cricket that this bloke plays. He's not uh, an extraterrestrial; <laughs> he is still a human being with the ups and downs and you know peaks and troughs of getting out of bed and, and getting yourself up for it. And we know that he's almost like a paradigm of mo- of a modern cricketer. That said, it's very very rare. For a player to play at that kind of standard with that sort of intensity across all three formats, and then with all the additional stuff that goes with it, um, he is he is as freakish as they come. But every every human being has a threshold, and it's possible that. He's just not able to sustain that intensity just at the moment. Because they, they have a long
3: break before the next test series, don't they, I think?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's not till England.
3: But then if you're an Indian cricketer, the breaks just don't exist. I mean, yeah. more so than anywhere else. I mean, he rolls straight into the IPL, which is not only a huge amount of fixtures coming very fast... It's also incredibly high intensity, more high intensity than a lot of the international cricket yeah. that's played around the world. It's two months long. So yeah, when when yeah. when does he get a break? And and he's, I mean, he's always said he will never relinquish the captaincy in in any format, or at least he doesn't foresee that happening. Mm. At some point, he's, I mean, he has missed the odd series, hasn't he, where he's he's been given a rest, but but not much. And mm. I think he might need to start doing yeah. that a bit more regularly for his own good, and it'll be hard because he's obviously got he's a control freak. He needs to manage the whole Indeed. thing, but he'll have to be have his fingers prized away from the team and to give him a chance yeah. to be at his very
2: best all the time. You've got to pity the, the young lad coming through who's given the the poison chalice of a T20 captain saying, no, Virat, just, um, you know, just on the 45. No, a little bit straighter, <laughs> a little bit straighter. I wouldn't fancy that yeah. gig myself. I
0: mean, there's a proposed Asia 11 versus World 11 series that's supposed to happen just before the IPL and Coley's down to play in that at the moment. What does that um, involve? So it's two games in Dhaka. It's to commemorate the... Birth centenary of Bangladesh's first ever president. Okay, um, quite quite a good lineup. We've got, uh, I think, we've got Gail uh Rashid Khan, Malinga. Quite a few of the Indian team supposed to be playing in it as well. Sounds like um, one that
3: Kohli could have sat out if he's looking for a.
0: So I think so. The BCB is saying that Kohli has initially agreed to it, but uh, I think Crickinfo reported that the BCCI. Are, I want Kohli to OK it himself first. Right. Um, given it is just a week before the IPL as well, yeah. so it's quite a good opportunity for a break. Um, just quickly, one more thing on India. Uh, their top seven look so different when they're at home. For, at least my perception of them, so when they're playing in New Zealand on a green seam or at home, you've got top seven, Like, how the hell are you going to get any of those guys out? But suddenly, you play play them in New Zealand and you've got Prithby Shaw. Like, well, it's he, a tough gig
3: for Prithby Shaw, isn't it? Really He's obviously geek. a massive, massive talent and got a huge amount of runs, but... He hasn't played a lot of cricket overseas. Just mm. to turn up in New Zealand against a very strong bowling attack in conditions they know inside out and to be expected
0: to score runs is, is tough. Did you see the ball that Southie got him with in the first <laughs> yes, inning? Yeah, yeah it's like... Uh, I wanted to talk about it. Go on, sorry. Well, the, the, the ball going towards middle stump, it shapes away a little bit, but he's trying to flick it through mid-wicket. It's like not the sh- really the shot of oh. somebody who's played... It was an amazing delivery, yeah. It
2: would have bowled Bradman, neck and no, crop. It, it was an absolute <laughs> jaffer. And I was watching this... And the commentary uh, was kind of dispiritingly predictable. Because he's an attacking player, he's somehow too loose to take on that job. That ball was arrowing into leg stump and he's within his rights to try and punch it to mid on. And it's swung late under leaden skies on a green mamba and taken out his off stump. That would have bowled anybody, I'm afraid. That was that was a Jaffa, but because it's Prithvi sure because he's meant to be a dasher, blah blah blah. He got it in the neck, and the comment the commentators from Dool downwards, they were lining up, and it was nonsense. I disagree with that entirely. That was a jaffer.
0: It was a jaffer, but it can it can simultaneously be a very good ball, and also, I don't think many bats would have missed it by quite as, as far <laughs> as he did. He did miss it by absolutely miles. Um, yeah, I anyway. thought he was
2: very harshly dealt with there. The, the young kid. Agarwal, on the other hand, um, made runs in both innings and uh, only saw the first innings actually, but yeah, he's, he's class and obviously his record is frightening. Mm. I think he's going to get runs everywhere he
0: goes. Absolutely. It was India's first defeat in over a year. With us on the phone is Wisden's Adya Sharma, who's based out in India. Adia, from an India perspective, did that result come as much of a surprise? Uh,
1: it was a bit surprising uh, to see the team fold for such low scores. I think what was more surprising was the fact that the big guns in the Indian team, uh, players like Virat Kohli, Mohamed Shami and Jaspi Bumrah, failed collectively. I think that was the biggest problem for India. And that was the biggest surprising factor to come out of the loss.
0: We, we talked about Kohli's run of form here. Um, has had quite an average tour across all formats as well. What do you make of his slight like, different form?
1: Uh, I think it's been a difficult uh, return for him since injury. He returned, I think, early in this year, and since then, one thing that has been clearly lacking is his ability to bowl full and get that swing out. Uh, he's been bowling a bit, a bit shorter. I think that has been a bit, a bit of a problem for him because in these conditions, switch it up a bit and swing it as he does, uh, that would make much more impact. But uh, he's been a little stiff since his done, So, yeah, that's been a bit of a worrying sign for India.
0: And do you think there'll be any changes made for the second test match? I'm always amazed whenever Ravi Jadeja isn't in an India side in any format, to be honest. Uh, a lot of people have been
1: saying that uh, Jadeja should be included instead of Ashwin. Now, Ashwin is a great option to have outside India as well. But uh, he had a decent outing in the first test also. But I think one thing that is against him is that his batting form is considered to play. And now that's, that's something that uh, you don't take Ashwin in the team for. But Jadeja provides a lot with the bat, and he's improved considerably in the last three years. And on the Christchurch pitch, which might not suit spinners as much, you could have someone like Jadeja, who relies more on his angles and variations. And uh, you, you can obviously have him for his batting because he's been really good recently.
0: Do you think there'll be any other changes in India side?
1: Well, I would really want to have Schumann-Gill somewhere in the team. Tithi Shaw, he has come in, but there has been obvious problems, obvious technical issues with his batting. Uh, it's too early in his career to say anything, but uh, I would really want Gil to be somewhere. He's been in tremendous form recently. He scored a century against New Zealand A. He's travelled a bit in the last two years, and the temperament, he, he's, he's a big player. So, uh, somewhere Gil, although I'm not sure if the team would want him, but, uh, yeah, I would really want to have Gil somewhere in the team.
0: I guess, I guess part of India's reluctance to pick at the moment, is, is is it perhaps that you've already got Shaw and Pant in there, two quite raw young players themselves?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think uh, there's all obviously so much spotlight on Shaw and Pant already. Uh, Shaw is making a comeback. Pant has always been in this, this whole spotlight against Saha. So I think the focus has been on these two right now to to really give these two youngsters a push, and for them to revolve around a set core of Indian batsmen who, like the Kohli, with the Kohli and the Purjara and the Mayangs, who've been doing well recently and for a long time actually. So um, I think it's, it's more focus given to these two right now to see how they do well, to give them an extended run, and then figure out and pick out
0: youngsters later on. Nice. Thanks a lot, Adia. Phil, what's your moment of the week? I don't really have one,
2: yes, but as we're there, uh, yeah, the, the England Lions result against Australia A um, under lights uh, against the coloured ball um, at, at the MCG. MCG at the MCG against a good Australia A side, uh, as you'd expect, but some some Test match pedigree in there. Um, and England racked up—I don't have the scorecard in front of me. England racked up six hundred and a bit in their first innings, um, and despite there being a bit of rain around, and it only being a four-day four hundred twenty-eight, but. Oh, sorry. 600, but yeah. Sorry, it was six hundred the week before. <laughs> yeah, apologies. Four hundred and something, uh, and won it on day four despite there being a bit of rain around as well. Um, it was, it was another standout by Dan Lawrence. Uh, we can come back to that in a moment. But uh, Sibley made runs as well. He made a hundred on that first day, and they, the two of those batted out for sixty or seventy overs against uh, under the lights rather, um, which is obviously a huge challenge, uh, and. You find you'll find as well that England are stumbling back to Australia in a year or two's time, so all of this experience is is critically important. Uh, and Overton and Ollie Robinson took the wickets, you know, two biggish, sort of hit the pitch kind of bowlers, uh, and they got they got it done as well. I think Don uh slipped in there for a couple in the first innings as well. Uh, I'm working off memory here, yes.
0: Um, yeah, so Bryden casted well as well. He wasn't initially in the Red Bull squad. Um, so, yeah, lots of encouraging performance from England. So as, you, as you said, there's a strong Australia A team, uh, six Test cricketers in that side, and it's the first time England Lions have beaten Australia A in any format ever anywhere in the world. Um, yeah, as you say, lots of uh, impressive individual performances. Dom Sibley, we're kind of used to it now, he's, he's the man in um, in possession in the senior Test team. But you mentioned Dan Lawrence. I, I couldn't believe. I can't believe... stop myself. Dan, Dan, I can't believe he's only 22 given how much he's already done in, in the senior game, he's played 70 first-class matches, 150 senior games of cricket overall. He scored 10 first-class hundreds, a key member in two championship-winning sides. For someone who's done so much so early in his career, the next logical step is playing for the England senior side. And he's had an amazing Lions tour, white ball, red ball, bat and ball. Yeah, it's,
2: a, it's an outrageous tour. He's, he's not failed yeah. uh, in, in any form uh, on any day. Uh, he's taken wickets in the in the one dayers as you say, and he's made runs as well and unbeaten fifty and a couple of starts in the other games, and then he's made one hundred and ninety at a runner ball and one hundred and twenty five um under lights. This is against good quality opposition as well uh he has his own game he has his own um kind of organic style uh but it's a very creative way of playing i think, but it's fundamental the fundamentals are there. Um, he scored tough runs in England against against good attacks. He made 100 against Jimmy Anderson early uh, two years ago, the, the year that, in, that Essex won um, the, in their first year back in the championship. Made 140 to see out a game on day four. So he, he's not just the sort of wristy, flighty, dasher player of repute. There's, there's real substance to to, to Dan Lawrence's first-class record. What he hasn't done yet, is combine white ball and red ball in one summer where you can't stop reading about him. He's had uh, he had a slow start, considering he opened the batting for England under-19s against the white ball and had a good World Cup and emerged quite early and was given good chances for Essex in white ball cricket in both 50 and 20. He didn't really crack white ball batting until last summer. Uh, he famously emerged as a red ball player very quickly, made 150 as a 17-year-old at the Oval in, in a first class game uh, but his one his four day form fell away slightly last year it was it, he had good days and important days actually for Essex obviously they won it again and it was te- he had terrible form in 2018 didn't he in eighteen when he yeah. was playing well in the white ball stuff he he sunk in, in 2018 against the Red Bull having had a really good year the year that they won it in 2017 so all I'm saying is that he just hasn't quite got all of it together in, in one uh irresistible year, one irresistible summer. Uh, but what you've seen now, first, he's been picked for both forms, for the Lions, which I think is telling in itself. His bowling is coming on. His bowling is a marvel to watch. He bowls off the wrong foot, round the wicket, a little bit back of the hand, a little bit f- with the fingers as well. Um, he bowls kind of past his right earlobe. It's bizarre to watch, but m- f- fabulously inventive. Um, and again, of, of a, he's one of a kind as a cricketer. What we need to see now with him is him is him to churn it out remorselessly in red ball cricket and make five, six hundreds in a summer. And then come India, the India tour next year, when he can bowl, as we've seen, he, and he has the kind of the, like the chutzpah, if you like, to be the sort of player that can come on and, and, and make a difference with battle ball. He would, he would be very, very close to that tour with one more good summer for England. And as you say, by that point, it'll be 2023, 20, just turned, you know, so... Everything in front of him. One other thing: he's he's he was a, a marquee player or whatever you call it, an icon player for London Spirit. You're think, nodding. Think so. It was, certainly was that yeah, club, yeah. the one, the Middlesex club, yeah. basically, yeah. London Spirit. And Warren picked him out, so he'll be.
0: I was a bit of a surprise pick. I it remember was... when it came out, he was kind of a standout in terms of somebody who's not played any. But well, he's not got football much football of
3: a cricket. T20 record, yeah. really, which is a bit strange. He played. I saw him on TV play a really good knock during the Blast last year, but they've been few and far between
2: that's true yeah but then he also bowls a bit in t20 cricket he bowls often the first over to get that over or two out of the way you know and 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 i think that will become increasingly a part of his of his armory really in the in the really short stuff mm. uh, it, it was a bit of a punt to see him in that in that uh, selection so early in the piece but it's another sign that he is he's well regarded across the board really in english cricket and um he will play for england i think at some point uh, it's hard to know which Channel is the most likely because that middle order in the test side is, you know, is reasonably Four solid, to
0: seven is reasonably yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he fits in. I guess he's kind of like in the in the Joe Clark bracket of somebody who's obviously really, really talented, still very young, but needs to have like one amazing season to actually get into the into a senior England squad.
3: But but unlike Joe Clark at this current stage, Joe Clark has just had his dip last year, whereas Lawrence has had his dip recovered from that and had this Lions tour. So he feels quite well ahead of that. Whereas he can't be, he must be of a similar age to, I think he must be younger than Joe Clark. Year yeah, year younger, year younger. yeah, younger. At least. Yeah, so even, as you say, even though he's only 22, he's got the experience of a much older cricketer, which mm. actually, even though there's some failures in there, should stand him in pretty good stead if he does get his chance with, with England yeah. senior.
0: The other one, Phil mentioned him, is, is Ollie Robinson. He took seven wickets in the game. Um, he's got an amazing first class record, 236 wickets at 22. Uh, he's not that quick, but Phil, you said before he came on, he bowls a heavy ball. Um,
2: yeah, I saw him bowl well at the Oval a year or two back. Um, it, the kind of bowler that you wouldn't you wouldn't fancy facing, as you say, he's not going to hurt you. But he he bowls that back of a length, sort of hit hit the splice kind of, kind of, of Toby Roland Jones. Kind yeah, of similar. Not maybe not quite as much nip as 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 Toby Roland Jones, but not far off. Uh, and he's he's been sniffing around that that set up mm. a while. I remember he had a great debut because he started at Yorkshire, didn't he? And he had a great... De- Joe, Yorkshire? It was Yorkshire, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he started at Yorkshire before going down to Sussex. Yeah. yeah. And he... Is David? I think he took eight wickets and made a hundred or something from number number nine or ten. This is one of my kind of Phil's facts that I have to then check after the show. My one last week was correct though. Incidentally, Mark Lathwell did become a postman. Anyway, um, yeah, Ollie Robinson—he's been sniffing around the setup for a while. Um, it, you'd hesitate to say that he's a Test match player, uh, but
3: so he came through at Yorkshire. Yeah. but he did. It was for Sussex that he's done. For Sussex, also, Sorry. yeah. So okay. he he let, he was released by Yorkshire somewhat surprisingly and there was kind of rumours about his behaviour I think he turned up late to a few things and mm. Sussex was kind of a, a fresh start for him mm. uh, and Jason Gillespie's obviously been working with him a lot at Sussex and his record over the last few years is ridiculous I mean so yeah. last summer he took 64 first class wickets at, at 18.9 the year before that 81 wickets at 17 I mean those numbers even if we're talking about he hasn't got necessarily got the pace that you would look for in a test boulder those numbers are hard to ignore perhaps falling into this kind of Jamie Porter category of local fans who see him every week can't understand why he doesn't play for England mm. whereas the England selectors we know are looking for 85 miles an hour plus bowlers but if you go to Australia and you take wickets there's
2: not much more you can do that to put yourself in the mix for the for the test team. Yeah echo that Craig Overton's had a really good game there um, and he was on that tour that fateful tour of course you know And he actually played under lights didn't he played in that Adelaide game Um Got Smith out off various parts of Smith's body, mildly, fortuitously. But there is a place for that bowler as the third or fourth seamer. The problem that England had on that tour is that they were all third or fourth seamers.
3: Well, this is it. So if you have Wood, Archer, all being well, fitness-wise, then you do need a kind of a steady eddy hold up and end kind of bowler, which Overton and potentially Ollie Robinson falls in, into that category.
0: Should be quite interesting to see how... Uh how, as a very young England Lions team, it's interesting to see how they all go um, with a, the, the start of the county championship season. You've got quite a few games before the first test match. Um, bef-
2: a proper attack, though, again, those runs. Just very briefly, you know, Nisa and Jackson mm. Bird opening open the bowling. Yeah, you know, that's, that's test international both. pedigree class. You know, Nisa's been signed up by Surrey here as their overseas quick. He's, he's he's taken obscene amounts of wickets in the Shield. He's taken over 100 wickets in the last three years, you know, mm. across sort of 18 games. He's mm. a brilliant talent. Not uh, for 108 against Sibley and Lawrence. So yeah, outstanding and a one-off performance really by the Lions. Yeah. Led by Richard Dawson, uh, an outstanding fella um, who I've known for quite, quite a few years, same age as me and we used to play against one another a bit and, and he's been doing brilliant work at Gloucester in the, in the margins a little bit. You know, he's an undemonstrative bloke. He's like a cowboy, just just moses into town. Doesn't say much, brilliant beard, uh, he's impenetrable, inscrutable kind of character, but he's been doing good work. Gloucester get promoted. He gets the gig to run the Lions just for the winter uh, and they've won or they've been unbeaten throughout the tour with one more game to go. Uh, he's, he's a coming man in the whole coaching fraternity. As I saw, do you see Vic Marks doing the
3: spin this week for the Guardian? It right. was sort of a tongue-in-cheek what will cricket look like in 2030 and his in his imagined world with Ollie Pope as yeah, test captain, Richard Dawson was his England coach really? alongside him, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah well, I could well see it and he he has a hinterland away from the game Dawson as well. I interviewed him a few months ago and um he, he never particularly was committed to coaching. He rather fell into coaching and found that he had a, a taste for it and an aptitude for it, but uh he he was very interested in becoming a journalist at one point and when I spoke to him he still had designs on becoming a school teacher at some point down his down his down the line. So he's not sort of Imprisoned by cricket, if that makes any sense, mm. you know, and I think that's probably a positive thing when you're looking for a coach that can deal with different characters and different situations. Uh, I think he's definitely one to watch. How if great say. if he uh, becomes England head coach and then throws it in to become a teacher?
3: That'd be nice. A <laughs> sort of like cricket first. How it's cool like, would that uh, be?
0: How cool would that be? Um, on on Gloucestershire, uh, another young guy doing very well for the Lions is James Bracey. He got 65 with the gloves on. Um Interesting. You're a big fan
3: of Bracey, aren't big you? Big fan. Yeah, like, so you've it, it, been banging that drum before it was fashionable. Yeah, I
0: interviewed him last year after he got picked for the Lions uh, initially, and it, it was a name that kind of stood out in terms of he hadn't done that, he hadn't, hasn't played in Division One at all, um, and prob- again from a unfashionable county in Gloucestershire. Interesting player in that he's done very well in red ball and white ball cricket at various points, batting high up in the order, batting at three um, without the gloves on, and now for the Lions he's doing well batting at six, I think, with the gloves on. So there are two areas in which he could end up playing for England, which is quite interesting. Um, I guess the, the number three spot is still reasonably open with Joe Denley, the man of possession. And you were saying before we came on air that who knows what happens to Josh Butler and Johnny Bairstow. Well, yeah, Josh
3: Butler's test career test could careers. could be almost beginning or it could be over in a matter of weeks, I think. Uh, same with Johnny Bairstow. A lot in the I would say... We might never see him keep wicket in a Test match again for England. He might, may well come again as a batsman. Um, but then if, if those two fall away as wicket-keeping options, then actually it's folks and and who else? And there's quite mm. a few Ben Brown, James Bracey might be thinking, well, suddenly, having had no route to this team as a keeper at all, you might be one place away from, from Test election.
0: Mm. Um, before we move on to the rest of the show, an exciting announcement. This year, we are working with NatWest as our official club cricket partner. And with the season fast approaching, keep an eye out for our club cricket podcast that we will be launching in March and running every couple of weeks across the season. Also, in a month's time, it's NatWest Cricket Force weekend. NatWest Cricket Force provides a pre-season focal point for clubs across the country in 2019 they saw 2,650 clubs organise family days as part of the Cricket World Cup. The, the energy and efforts of the volunteer champions in 2019 was an enormous summer cricket for many clubs. So, yeah, keep an eye or an ear out for those club cricket pods through the summer. Um,
2: will I be featuring on the odd one there? You, yeah. you
0: will be, Phil. Um, and I can't wait for them. I don't um, think I
2: will be, as yes, will I? No.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you will be as well. I will well, be. I
2: think. Blimey. Yeah, yeah. I thought Joe's talents lay lay elsewhere. <laughs> Maybe it's a stipulation that you come back onto the field, Joe. Well, have we got last man stands? We summer? do. Yeah. Oh, that, that I think that, that we time start netting
3: actually. Yeah, I think.
0: We'll, I think. Yeah, we've we've got a wisdom team in the in the last man stands competition, so that should be that should be interesting. Um, we'll interesting is the word. Yeah. I think.
3: <laughs> Bit short of batting. If anyone out there can bat in the South London area, excuse me. I'm in. I'm in the form of my life.
2: I can't do it all. You're right, Joe. Not quite what I said, but sure.
0: <laughs> I've got my Woodstock bat. um <laughs> The T20 World Cup has got underway in the last week in Australia. <coughs> it's been a brilliant start to the tournament, actually. Um, quite a few upsets in the opening week. On o- on the opening day, uh, India beat de- defending champions Australia. Sri Lanka have given Australia a proper scare. South Africa beat England. And just today, Pakistan overcame 2016 winners West Indies. Um, given the format, two teams advanced from each group to the semi-finals. Australia and England are still in reasonably strong positions to qualify England beat Thailand today Um, but it's been a refreshingly open tournament considering the 2018 tournament wasn't that exciting very few surprises and quite dull games actually it's been
3: great other than the Pakistan West Indies game today uh, they've all been good games haven't they I'm trying to think even India Bangladesh wasn't that close in the end but looked like it might be until the last few overs Uh, it's been great the stuff I've watched has been fantastic I thought I only caught um, England batting against South Africa other other pounds on uh, Sunday but I thought that was a really, really fascinating game. There won't be boundaries hit left, right, and centre, but South Africa bowled excellently, were captained really well, had excellent plans to England, who struggled to respond. But obviously, overnight, have uh, obliterated Thailand, massive win. Heather Knight became the first English cricketer, male or female, to score a century in all all formats. Mm, yep. Uh, and now you'd still say you'd still make them favourites to go through, I think. Um, but they've got South Africa Friday. Sorry, not South Africa. Pakistan on Friday and West Indies on Sunday. Uh, so two two massive games. I mean, it could all be over in a matter of days. If, if they lose,
2: if they lose one, they'll be relying on results elsewhere, yeah. and it's probably yeah. they'll therefore be outsiders. Well, the the net run rate of beating Thailand
3: in the way so, they did so would committed. be very useful, but it would yeah, but certainly it would be out of their hands. Yeah,
2: yeah. I saw it the other way round actually. Uh, so I saw England defending their target. So I saw the second half of the game and. Uh, yeah, South Africa held their nerve really impressively, I thought, towards the end. Um, it was lovely to see uh, Sarah Glenn uh, bowl really nicely. She's your, your new favourite player, yeah. Joe. Uh, and uh, Sophie Eccleston as well was was good. Um, there was the MANCAD issue. Now, I don't want to talk, talk about the MANCAD issue specifically, but it was interesting that the final delivery of that over by Catherine Brunt was hit for six, which kind of clinched the game. So in all this kind of... Piss and wind around mancads and the peculiar uh, kind of divergence between people on Twitter punters and the professional fraternity, all of whom pretty much to a man and woman think it's, di- it's diabolical. Uh, th- this was the example where it really was on a knife edge, a big game in a big world tournament on a knife edge, and it was it was there for for Catherine Brunt to pull off, and she she chose not to. I think
0: crucially, is it it, for people who have not seen it, it was um, so. So after seven twin win off four, Catherine Brunt pulls out of the delivery stride. Suna loses miles out of her crease. Yeah, so significant. Dif- differently to ones in the past of so the famous West Indies on nineteen one in 2016, that Kimo Paul like, kind of pre premeditates it and the guy's out on a third umpire decision. That's how close it was. And, and the bowler didn't have any intention of bowling the ball. This one, Brunt pulls out when she loses so far out of her crease at a crucial point of the game.
2: Yeah, Uh and then obviously didn't break the stumps, and um, the England girls then retreated from uh, any suggestion that she would have gone ahead and done it, or indeed that any girl within the setup would have dared to go ahead and do such a such a thing, commit such a heinous crime. It is peculiar this this story; it never dies down either. There's a
0: consensus never emerges. Brunt was given a warning herself when she was batting earning the game. I don't know how much of a part of that that played. Um, in her decision not to take the bells off, but it is interesting how different oh, you, you said between players and people on Twitter. I think it's, it's, it's I think it's quite different in England. I think it's English players. I think in other parts of the world, it's, it's they kind of okay. look at us and it's, it's quite bizarre. Why? I mean, from my well, point, I, well,
3: Ashwin when he did it a Butler in last year's IPL, yeah, just we, thought, uh, just, why wouldn't I do it? It's in the rules. Why would I not do it? And it and it it is it is dif- different. For, I have to say, I find it the most boring thing in cricket. Uh, so boring, yeah. and I, I can't understand why people get so upset about it. Um, and now I find myself angry with the the batsmen just because I want them to stay in their ground, so we don't have to talk about any of this stuff.
0: But that, but that is it. I I find I, I don't get upset about it. But I I find it weird that a professional player would refuse to dismiss an opponent on these vague moral grounds. When at the end of the day, the non-striker is essentially trying to steal ground, like to take the bells off, like. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I know, and and you can make a hard run too, and be in or out by an inch. Exactly, clearly...
0: literally, the World Cup final got decided by yeah. in millimeters, inches. Yeah, um,
2: it, there I was. Just, a... Sorry, yes, I just wanted to add, from what I've seen, teams are holding their nerve really strongly. Emerging teams are holding their nerve against the big the big dogs in this tournament. Um, Pakistan got home comfortably in, in two overs two to spare. Mm. I think it was against West Indies today, and yet they, you know, they needed you know a run a ball with you know, two wickets down under under lights under pressure knowing that their tournament was kind of there that's a difficult target to chase in any cricket but especially in women's cricket when the power doesn't get you out of jail as as it does in the men's they held their nerve and that's a huge result for a for a you know an emerging team that was only really de- deemed able to play cricket competitively you know a matter of 20 30 years ago uh they were can, too too timid, too timorous, I think was the word that Dan Norcross used on Twitter in previous tournaments. But today they went out there and 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 they showed that they have a bit of belief to back up this kind of nascent emerging talent as well. Uh Javiria, or Jameeria, Javeria, yeah, who um I interviewed at the oh, what was it? it was the yeah, it was the seventh twenty seventeen World Cup when she was just a just a kid coming through. Um you know, really adorable character and it's great to see that she's now kind of taking on this team. Um and yeah, this is the tournament that we've maybe all been hoping for and which we didn't see, as you say a couple of years ago. Uh the, the playing field appears to be leveling off, uh and that there are games to watch between evenly matched teams pretty much everywhere you look. It's great news for the yeah, game.
0: Yeah, a a lot of the talk before the tournament was Australia, they'll get to the final and it's all about Will they fill the MCG, break this world record? But actually, from a purely crickety point of view, it's been a really exciting tournament. We'd obviously,
3: yeah, and we were guilty of this as well. We'd skipped most of the tournament yeah. and we're just talking about the final, which which you would never do in a men's tournament. Mm. Um, and this tournament has shown that we were certainly wrong to do that. Just on England, I do think, watching the South Africa uh, innings against South Africa, I think they've got themselves in a bit of a muddle with their batting lineup, up um, which obviously didn't matter against Thailand because they only used four batsmen. But I think it's going to become a bit of an issue. This Tammy Beaumont, who's penciled in at six, dropped down to seven against South Africa because they wanted to move Catherine Brunt up the order while Fran Wilson batted for about five overs in the in the middle, which just isn't using their resources in, in the best way possible. And I think I think Fran Wilson came in in about the eighth or ninth over, which they obviously thought was too early for Beaumont because they wanted her to be a, a late innings hitter. But at that point... You've got to get Beaumont in to support Siver, who's doing a great job at three, but Siver can't take that many risks because so much hangs on her. She needs people like Beaumont and Brunt Tank playing some shots, whereas Fran Wilson, certainly against South Africa, was kind of just nerdling it. And I think when they come against these big games, potentially Friday or Sunday, they need to have their best batters, their most experienced batters, their big tournament batters there at the crease when these big moments are on. And that's what didn't happen against South Africa.
0: Elsewhere in international cricket this week, there was an innings win for Bangladesh over Zimbabwe. Mushvika Raheem scored his third Test double hundred. At the time of recording Australia and South Africa level in the three-match T20i series, Ashton Agar took a hat-trick and a Fifer in the opening game of that series. Um, he's properly establishing himself as Australia's second spinner in that T20i team. Um, while in Sri Lanka, the hosts are set to go 2-0 up at the moment in the ODI series between them and West Indies. Um, Avishka Fernando and Kusal Mendes today put on the highest ever third wicket partnership for Lanka and ODI cricket. I didn't watch it, but I reckon that would have been pretty amazing to watch. Two um, real dream boats. Yeah, there. exactly. Both of them scoring their second uh, ODI 100s. Um, last week, you guys talked about some of your favourite um, ever England Neely men. It was great. Um, it was great. It was really good to listen to. And... We've got to come up with an 11, um, kind of based on the suggestions that you had on the show and also what people have been feeding in on Twitter. Feel free to shout at me, but this, this, is, this is, I think, a reasonably fair 11. Uh, we've got Lathwell up top, Rob King, John Crawley, Oweishaw, uh, James Taylor, Ravi Bopara, Captain, Chris Reid, Alex Tudor, Toby Roland jones Dean Headley and Peter Such. <laughs> Such yeah. a right? What what an eleven!
3: Yeah, good eleven. Uh, Ravi's captain's an interesting one.
0: I I, I just gave him the captaincy because
3: he's he the he's, Yeah, yeah. Um, uh no, I like that.
2: No, no. Michael Carberry runs for years all over the place. We F- didn't really discuss Carberry, did we? P- face, so, that faces man? Mitchell Johnson does okay. Jettisoned out of nowhere. We're
0: putting Carberry in. Car-
2: Carberry for me ahead of Mark Lathwell. Okay, I'm comfortable with that. Very comfortable with that.
0: Right. Cool. We, right, there we go. There, there oh, go. Yeah. What were
2: what, what, the bowlers again? I'd kind of drifted uh, away halfway down Tudor, the line.
0: Tudor, Roland Jones, Headley, and such.
2: Yeah, they are good. They are <laughs> persuasive. Joe made a very good case for Dean Headley last week. Um, I'm not going to argue for that. Great record. Great record. Yeah, indeed. indeed. Um, we carried that conversation on afterwards as well, didn't we, wait. Joe? Sh- shocking, really. Okay. Yeah, I'm comfortable I with it all?
0: Graham Onions is unlucky to miss out. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he. So Cybottom as well. Cybottom didn't play that. Long, he did really well. for oh, about Side a year. bottom,
2: definitely. He he did all right. Really, he, it, side bottom had a very comfortable test career for the, the the talent that he had. And I know that he was a he tore up county cricket, but he he had two good years for England. Yeah, I yeah. don't think he will he will quibble at, in any way about his career.
0: Fair enough. Um, when listening to you guys talk about it last week, I came across a, a great Hampshire top five from a T20 game in <laughs> 2004. Sorry how <laughs> how does that work um okay so you were talking about chris tremlett i think right i, think well, you john Craw- I thought you were looking
3: up john crawley no so so oh, right. it just was,
0: was chris tremlett <laughs> okay. and i was on chris tremlett's Crick info profile and then you started talking about john crawley and i was like hang on they would have played together i think and lo and behold chris tremlett made his t20 debut in this game where i found this team with john crawley in it so that's a great way of getting to john crawley's profile um but anyway the top five was michael clark future australian captain michael brown sean udall the hampshire captain in at three at three shane watson in at four and john crawley the man himself at number five that was michael clark and shane watson's t20 debut um so 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 you udall's in there for the the
2: muscular hitting and Ahead then Shane, Shane and Shane Watson, yeah, yeah, yeah. in his slipstream. yeah, he wasn't uh,
3: much of a muscular hitter, was he? No, <laughs> Joe, really you no. remember that? No, he wasn't. No. Maybe that was more the anchor role. Different days. Old head. You're probably right. <laughs> yeah. Although, where where creepy Crawley
2: fits into that whole scenario, mm. I'm not really He's sure.
3: Just having a having a rest, isn't he? Yeah. Not quite ready to go yet.
0: Um, Very strong though. I, I'd be interested in seeing if any of our listeners could find other lineups that are similarly weird. So, like, either odd combinations of players that you don't really associate with being from the same era or just orders that are really bizarre. So um where's one I found was the Australia top 5 from the 1996 World Cup quarterfinal was Mark Taylor, Mark War, Ricky Ponting, Shane Warne at 4, then Steve War and <laughs> Steve and Stuart Law at 5 and 6. So that that's pretty weird. War, Warn in there. Why was get...
3: Warn at four? He wasn't doing that in that World Cup. Generally, was he? That was just I, I think they promoted up the order.
0: I think I mean it was a great game. So Australia chased down 287 with two overs to spare, and Warn got 24 or 14. Oh, it's worked. Yeah, so, so it, it, well, it did works. work. So it looks like they kind of discovered pinch hitting. I guess that's the tournament of Jassarir and uh, Um But yes, if if so, if you've got any. Weird 11s. One for the purists, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Send send them through to us on Twitter, just at any of our individual Twitter handles: where Joe underscore Wisdom, Phil underscore Wisdom, and Yaz underscore. I've
2: just I've just typed in England's nineteen ninety six World Cup uh, results, their campaign. Now that was that was at a point where English cricket didn't really understand,
0: didn't believe in it. Limited, overs. Yeah,
2: yeah certainly agnostic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And out there in in um, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, it was across the subcontinent. Uh, Athas, as skipper, was still opening the batting um, uh, and struggling a little bit to get it away up top. He opened with various different people. Neil Smith famously opened the batting with him. There's um, a great this photo of Neil Smith from that
0: tournament. In this yeah. game
2: that I've landed on, this is the quarter final when they lost uh, very very easily. Um, with 10 overs to spare as as Sri Lanka knocked them off. Uh, We we laboured to 235 for eight from our 50. Um, And uh, Phil De Freitas is in at five. (laughs) Now, that's the only success in the team. Daffy smashes 67 off 64 balls with two sixes and five fours. However, around him, it's a rather garbled combination of, of... of English cricketers with an emphasis on the Englishness. Peter Martin, who gets a little bit of nip in April on Old Trafford. He's in there. Um, Dermot Reeve didn't really offer that much with either bat or ball in those kinds of uh, circumstances. He's in there. Jack Jack Russell, cricket brain, Jack Russell. Yeah. Good cricket brain. Uh, Jack Russell, uh, as a specialist keeper, I, I guess I can understand the thinking up to a point, but he was a, nuggety little player, but he's down there in the kind of finisher role of the side. Um, How low is he? He's at seven. Okay. It kind of evokes... Stewie's at six. Kind of club cricket where you just... Whoever's got their pads on, just, yeah. just <laughs> out, out you go and have a hit. Yeah. Um, I haven't mentioned Ian Austin, who didn't make the cut for the quarter final, but he would obviously... He was part of that squad as well. Yeah, it's spectacular. Although that, you say that, that. So that was 96, right?
3: Mm. The following year, Adam Holyoke leaves the team to Sharjah, which is... Matthew Fleming, Dougie Brown, yeah. Mark Elam, I think, as well. I think, I think Ely might be there. Uh, yeah. And they win their first global trophy.
2: Yeah, all true. All uh, fair and true. Uh, the, when you asked this question about half an hour ago before we came on air, obviously the mind wanders to England selections in the 90s, doesn't it? It's, it's unavoidable. Um, but before before I go down that, that rabbit hole, one that came to mind straight away was when the West Indies, you might you won't remember this yes, because you would, would have been about four years old, The West Indies, um, you'll remember it though, Joe, Philo Wallace and Clayton Lambert opened the batting, remember? Yeah, Yeah. so they played, um, uh, they played 12 test matches between them and averaged in the early 20s, but they were picked for three test matches against England in 1998 in that weird tour where Sabina Park test was called off after 20 minutes or whatever and they played two games at Port Spain, I think, Trinidad was there and, Phil o. Wallace and Clayton Lambert open, and neither of them were good enough for Test cricket, but they were both real dashers. And it was a response to having had Greenwich and Haynes as these dominant icons of the game. And then they'd kind of scattered around a little bit and had some, some half-decent half defensive-minded openers. And then clearly the West Indies selectors just thought, sod this, Lara was captain, we're going to get a couple of real bruisers in there. And they smashed it for no more than two weeks. In Test cricket. But it was really successful. And they won the crucial game they won at St. John's in Antigua. Uh, And Lambert got 104 and Wallace got 92 in about 10 minutes. And I remember Caddick being hit over his head into the sight screen out of nowhere and so on. And then these two, they just vanished off the face of the earth. Clayton Lambert ended up playing for um, the USA in the 2004 Champions Trophy. But yeah, that was just one of these moments where it was like the last dying embers of of a once sort of swashbuckling approach to test cricket. Uh but anyway, that's that was one that always came to mind. The Lambert and Wallace fortnight. This is my, my cousin who's not much of a cricket fan
3: always says, well openers never get any runs in Test cricket. Why don't you just put, put <laughs> just two people like who just go
2: and smash it? Yeah. Which is basically what the West Indies did exactly what this they experience. did. <laughs> that's exactly what they did. Um sorry, just just one more. No, I'm loving up. it. I'm loving it. Um obviously it's a bit of an easy shot to be fair, but the ninety-nine England New Zealand series in England when England lost, booed at the Oval, bottom, bottom, of, the of, bottom of the world. Um, that game at the Oval where England contrived to lose by 83 despite bowling New Zealand out for 236 and 162. <laughs> we mustered 153 and 162 at the Oval. Best track in the country. Um, our bottom, bottom five, so from seven down, Ronnie Irani, Andy Caddick at eight, Mullally at 9 Tufnell 10 and Ed Giddens 11 we and I worked this out beforehand for the last 9 wickets so the the last 4 in the first innings and the last 5 in the second we mustered 24 runs (laughs) for 9 24 for 9 at the Oval the bats um, actually
0: did an all-right job for the rest of the test then. like you've got, to, you've got to expect some runs from the lower order.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, th- they had shifted things around because Tudor played, of course, who was a useful lower order bat and made the 99 in that series. But yeah, that's that's a long tail, I'm afraid. Um, and, and Darren Maddy opening the batting as well. In amongst some kind of famously you know hefty names, Nasser and Thorpe and... Mm. And and so on, so rather lopsided side that. A little yeah. wonder that we we were struggling.
0: Yeah, yeah, so I'm I'm not just looking for lopsided side, so but do send lopsided sides Alright, sorry, we'll just cut no. But I, that. I was I was thinking more play, players in the same team who you just you're actually surprised they ever played together. They associate from different generations.
2: Well, Lathwell and Gooch is the ultimate. We talked about this last week. Mm. That is the ultimate. You know, a 45 year old, 55 year old, 65 year old monolith of the game and this funny little character who's a postman from devon you know and those two walking out to bat that was that was a sight for for sore eyes uh to say the least yeah all right i'll think on uh, yes
0: there's a new magazine out this week um Ooh. it looks amazing it's got a got a cracking cover um and on the cover, it's mentioned that there's a special feature tracing the lineage of England batting greats from Ranji to Pope and all points in between. Phil, what was the thinking behind putting together that that feature? Uh,
2: I would say one of the big inspirations, if not the the central one, was watching Pope at Port Elizabeth. And I don't think we get past a week without me talking about Pope at Port Elizabeth, which I think is one of the masterful innings of the... Of, the last few years, I really do, and it was. It se- seemed to showcase the old and the new all at once. It seemed to showcase the 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 ageless values of Test match batting, and and, and the synergy of of modern cricket as well. Uh, you know, he got spectacularly funky and inventive and cheeky towards the back end of that innings, and as he says to me, actually in in this big feature, because he agrees to give us an interview. He said he felt like he'd earned the right to 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 play in a in the so-called modern funky way, and obviously with wickets falling as well, he had the license to open up. Uh, but that seemed to be one of the starting points, and we spoke about it, and we we, we became interested in how each era is dis- of English batsmanship is distinct in and of itself, but how it also infuses what's what comes later as well, and so. We started the conversation and went backwards and went through, and we we got we got back to. We, firstly, if you just look at the 21st century, you know Pope is a kind of a fusion of, or stylistically Bell and Root, but um, he has elements of Cook in there as well. That you know the patience of Cook, and then we had, of course, the Peterson and Cook yin and yang thing, the Cain and Abel thing of those two running concurrently as these sort of two archetypes of the 21st century of English batsmanship. And then you run back further, and then you run into the nervous 90s, as we called it, with Atherton and Stewart. Those two both are interviewed in the magazine as well, and it's great to hear the two of them on each other as well. They played their 100th Test matches together. How weird is that? At Old Trafford, um, Atherton's got a good ball, obviously, and nicked off, and Stewie got a 100. Uh, they, are, they are archetypes of that time. And then, of course, they are the, they're the progeny of Gooch. You know, Gooch. Gooch helped create these two players. Um, uh, they both were picked under Gooch's captaincy for the first time at the turn of the decade into the 90s. And Gooch, of course, bestrode that 20 years. Um, Gooch played towards. Gooch began at the back end of Boycott's career. Dan Norcross, the TMS commentator, does a brilliant piece with Boycott. And Boycott talks about the pragmatism that marked. The, the 60s when he emerged. Um, you're playing for your career. You're playing for money. Uh, the pitches were all often awful it, back in the 50s and 60s. So you're playing for your paycheck and it encouraged a certain pragmatism of approach. But of course, within all of that, there are outliers. There are dashers. There's Ted Dexter. But then Ted, of course, is from the highest echelons of English society. He could probably afford to play the odd shot. If you're born in Pudsey St. Lawrence it's maybe a slightly different mindset that you have to adopt. So all of these kind of elements were were in the story, and we started to plan it and work out who we wanted to talk to. In the end, we got interviews with Athers, Stewie, Gooch, whose interview is stunning, uh, Boycott, and Simon Wilde, the brilliant writer, Sunday Times correspondent. He kicks us all off, so he introduces the whole feature with a look at those early years, the first 50 years, really, the golden age from... You know, the CB Fry, Ranji, Golden Age, these kind of, again, these, sort of, these princes amongst paupers uh, and the, you know, the spectre of grace as well, of course, you know, towards the back end of the, the Victorian era. And then the impact that that had on the professionals that followed, the Hobbs, the Sutcliffe, the Hutton, the Hammond. Hammond wasn't a professional, but the majority of them were, and they were hardened moneymakers, makers necessarily grafting their uh their technique to the, re- the kind of the financial requirements of, of of their lives and their livelihoods and their families and so on so all of that ended up being splurged onto 15 pages of this magazine um it's something that you know i've got to say i'm really i'm really kind of proud of the feature actually five different essays five different interviews um some good writers and me in there. Uh, so I like it. I like it a lot. And it runs all the way up to to Pope. And wondering what the future looks like too.
0: Do you think that you guys have perhaps put a bit too much pressure on Ollie Pope? He's 22. He's only well, made a we're, not,
3: and- we're not saying that he is the next great. We're saying he has the potential to be an unbelievably good batsman. But it's more that he is the, the point that we have now reached. It would have seemed odd to stop at, say, Root when Root's Test career actually started quite a long time ago. Mm. Pope is the latest incarnation of, of English batsmanship, if you like. And as Phil says, he, he's marrying what you can do in a T20 game with what you can do in a test match. Um, so no, we're not saying Pope, Pope's the next Gooch or Boycott or, mm. or Root, um, although it
2: looks like he's got half a chance. I, I was comfortable with putting Pope in there. I think, as Joe says, he just he typifies the, the modern game in all its strands and all its possibilities. Uh he's got to play more white ball cricket but you know such is the nature of the modern game he might not have much of a chance mm-hmm. but then we've touched on that before I think that would be a great loss but anyway
0: yeah, there's some great lines from Pope uh, more generally the the, the pull out quote yeah. at the start of the of the feature I think is really interesting when Joss Butler compliments him on a square drive he says oh, that was a shot of the day but Pope's actually thinking mm, no I've played that shot three times in Test cricket and I've got out twice and doesn't play it for the rest of the day Exactly. Very that. interesting.
2: And that that was the that was the standout line, and it actually emerged because we we were ha- talking, and and I said, to him, "What was your what was your favourite shot from the innings?" And He said, "Um, not sure." I said, "Would well, you want to know what my one was?" And he said, "Oh, you're not going to say the square drive, are you?" And I wasn't. I was going to say the 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 on drive, the ball before. Uh, and he said, "Oh, that's good because I did like that one." And he actually said it just pissed off the bat. That's what he, that's what he said. <laughs> I know. And then he sort of giggled and then went back into his. In, in, into his composed shell but yeah he, he made that point um, and I just thought that sort of summed up his mindset and the kind of the, the mysteries of test match batting he just seems to have have a have a way through though through those those mysteries and and, and it was interesting I guess that Joss was I the know, one was to, to say oh yeah, yeah. that yeah. was a great <laughs> shot mm, yeah well, I'm not going to play that again actually uh, Joseph yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. It's Good stuff.
0: Um, there's Joe. There's a. You've done a feature on the 19 most exciting teenagers in the country. So you, you spoke to quite a few people to, to uh, come yeah. up with this.
3: List. almost too many. I disappeared <laughs> down a rabbit hole that I was never. I was worried I was never going to get out of. Um, I did it. We did it in our, our old magazine All That Cricket a few years ago, and I was really pleased with it. But I didn't think we went in quite enough depth. So I wanted to do it more comprehensive this time. So it was handy having the Under 19 World Cup going on at the mo- at the time because that obviously highlighted some of the best players and you were out there and gave us a few tip-offs. Um, but then I spoke to academy directors at, at the ECB, tried to get as many names together and then spoke to academy directors at each county and I basically spoke to them about their player and then also said who else around the country has caught your eye and almost did it as like kind of a, a chain around around mm. the country, uh, which took ages. Um, but I do feel like I know what might happen in the next <laughs> next. Yeah. Few so, years. so,
0: who is the most excited talking about a young person? Who is the young person they're to- talking about?
3: Um, it's really interesting because a lot of that comes down to the, the person you're speaking exactly, to. Yeah. So, a lot of the academy directors really don't want to talk up their players too much, but you can read between the lines to to, to work out that you've got a special talent here Um, so I think um, Paul Greetham Warwickshire's elite cricket development manager I spoke to him about two players actually from Warwickshire appear on the list Dan Mousley who um, people might have seen scoring 100 against Sri Lanka in the 19 World Cup and a 17 year old um, women's quick called Izzy Wong uh, who is playing for Southern Brave in the 100 this summer Um, she said when she first came into the Warwickshire system aged 12 or 13 I want to be the fastest women's bowler this country's ever seen uh, and Paul says she's not going to be far off that. Uh, and we're talking about Catherine Brunt's career coming to an end. And your shrub soul is still got a few years left perhaps, but not at her peak. They're looking for raw pace. And, and Izzy Wong is is, is that, um, basically. So I think we might see her. I mean, she's only 17, but sooner rather than later. She's already played in the KSL, Played in the KSL last year. have played for Southern Vipers a couple of games. Uh, and she's part of the England Academy this year. Um, so there's, there are some really exciting names. Another one that came up who is probably... Said most times and with most conviction was Ben Charlesworth, who you saw Yaz at the Under 19 World mm-hmm. Cup, scoring some runs against Australia. Kind of technically technically correct opening batsman, kind of old school opening batsman, if you like. Um, Gloucestershire I haven't had a England Test debutant since 2006, which is a which is a long wait. Um, but a lot of people
2: think that he might be the next one. You also feature a, a right-handed opening bat who uses a gray nickels who can bat for days and whose concentration sets him apart from all others. Yes. Uh so this is Josh
3: Jacarez, um who happens to be Michael Atherton's son uh who is very much in this list in his own right. It wasn't because he is Atherton's son although that is obviously um a burden if you like that he's going to have to carry around with him. He's taken his mother's surname for for understandable reasons but yeah he's playing for Middlesex too scored a lot of runs from the last year um, is yeah is a another traditional old school batsman I'd say that him and Charlesworth are probably only two of that type in there and speaking to academy directors it was interesting that the the characteristic that most excited them was the fact that they played in this almost throwback style because there aren't many of these players it's the about. new radicalism it they is they don't play I- straight in bat time yeah yeah um, obviously and yeah we've seen that with Dom Sibley last year people get excited by the fact that people don't do exciting things and um, but in amongst it you'd expect the, the usual quick bowlers usual shot makers uh, only one frontline spinner made our list there were a couple of other names mentioned but not with enough conviction not said enough times to me, for me to think that they were warranted selection in this that spinner's Hamadullah Kadri another one you saw at the Under-19 World Cup who switched from Derbyshire to Kent and looks a really exciting prospect. But it does, you see these patterns emerging and if we were hoping for a, a batch of spin bowlers to suddenly arrive out of nowhere, my impression was they're not They're not mm. on the verge of coming through um, for all the reasons that we, that we know already in English cricket.
0: Yeah, we kind of mentioned it at the end of the UN19 World Cup, but uh, Kadri and Charlesworth are, the, are, for me, the most exciting from that list just because I think they'll play quite a lot this, this year. I mean, Kadri's got a real chance of being um, Kent's number one spinner in all three formats actually and and Charles Worth paid a lot for Gloucestershire at the end of last season in their promotion push so he might get a good run opening the batting in Division 1 of the County Championship which is quite exciting for a teenager.
3: It is but I also think a lot of these names are going to be seen this summer in a way that they wouldn't have been if we'd done this list this time last year because of the one day cup and because of the hundreds so whatever you make of the hundreds it does mean that sides can be forced to play young players in in the One Day Cup, and speaking to a lot of the academy directors, they're really excited because they say you don't necessarily score huge amounts of runs or take loads of wickets for it to be clear that you are ready to step up to first team cricket. And often it requires that step up to really show how good you are. Um, but a couple of academy directors said to me that you, you just don't often get those chances in county cricket. Well, this summer we'll have them there'll be loads of them particularly at somewhere like Surrey I think there are 10 Surrey players in the 100 oh, I think okay. that. Sussie's got 12 so yeah. I mean you're going to have to find players from somewhere yeah. um, a Surrey player that's perhaps worth mentioning uh, Nico Reefer, who's a Barbados born all-rounder came over here into the London private school system sounding familiar story to Chris Jordan um, he went to Whitgift school and uh, Gareth Houndens Surrey's academy director is very excited about what he might do over the next couple of years particularly as a batsman
0: interesting um that's all we've got time for this week's show thanks phil and joe if you've enjoyed the show tell your friends get them to subscribe and if you're feeling particularly kind leave us a five-star review on the podcast app cheers
1: Podcast Network.